Welcome back to Walking Away from Arcadia. I'm Victor, and I'm here, amazingly in person, with my co-host Simon. He is real! <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's not all a terrible hallucination. And we are going to talk about one of our favorite topics that somehow we never did an episode on before. I don't, don't totally know how that happened. Horror in Changeling the Dreaming. I sort of thought about doing this episode because Matthew Dawkins from Onyx Path recently put up a YouTube video about horror in Changeling, and he ended up talking about one version of it, but I realized that that's probably the most common version, and we'll include a link to that when we post this. But um, Simon and I both tend to approach horror in Changeling a little bit differently, so I thought it would be fun for us to talk about how we do horror in Changeling. What is the trickiest thing about horror in Changeling for you? Backing up a little bit, the trickiest thing about horror in general, I feel, is that horror is a very subjective experience. And I'm the kind of person who goes to a horror movie and sometimes has to leave because I'm laughing too loud. You know, it's funny, that happened to me when I went to see the new It. A film I thoroughly enjoyed. I loved that film. But I cackled like through the entire thing and I saw it in the theater and everyone around me was doing the jumps and the scares mm -hmm. and for me there was some horror in the main characters reactions like their personality and nature but Pennywise himself just made me laugh like yeah no he was hilarious and wonderful yeah no, <laughs> there's that one episode of the thrilling adventure hour that makes fun of it and like that was the first version of it I ever watched or consumed in any way where I was like that was pretty good. That was exactly right. Yes. And it wasn't horror. I had the same experience with the Silent Hill movie a million years ago. Sat through it the whole time. Could not stop laughing. Because, like, the things that were supposed to be jump scares were really, really funny. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny. The first movie, and I don't remember this directly. This is a story my parents have told me. Um, because I was very young, but the first movie that I reacted to as though it was horror was Dreamscape, which is not a horror movie overall. It's kind of the first pop culture take at Inception, Paprika, mm. you mm -hmm. know, dive into someone else's dreams with technology thing. It was from the 80s. Part of the premise of the film is the reason they're diving into people's dreams is to help with therapy. Mm -hmm. like we can actually get into your dreams with someone that can actively oh, engage like that with them. Oh, like that movie with J-Lo. Yes. Yeah, Cell. actually, The Cell basically took the concept of dreamscape in a very different, abstract, surreal place, but they both started from the same premise. Mm -hmm. And most of the movie is kind of an espionage, people infiltrating this government program, but they have this one kid who's having night terrors about the snake man. And my parents just found it while channel surfing and thought, oh, this looks nice. And then, like, they're watching it. It's not horror. I'm sitting there, and then there's snake man. And they're like, and I was or mm. something mm -hmm. and they they both said they looked down at me and had the same calculation of like do we make a big deal out of this because that could make it worse and we just went through the rest of the movie and then at the end they sat down and had the conversation with me about make-believe and makeup because they were both theater majors so i got a more involved version of that than most mm -hmm. people do and i didn't react it was fine and i had night terrors for a week <laughs> <laughs> um, total night terrors because no matter how much they said the whole concept of Snake Man was this idea that there's a thing inside you that could destroy you mm. it wasn't the makeup it wasn't that he looked terrifying that didn't scare me but like 
there was something, and I've watched the movie again since then, I actually really do enjoy it. There's this, like, subversive, what you are afraid of itself, just being afraid of it, can undo you. Mm-hmm. And that was terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, those sorts of things get to me. Yeah. Um, but a lot of, like, Freddy Krueger, Jason, yeah, yeah. those sorts of things, I just, not so much. Yeah, like the... Oh, God, the last movie we watched together, what was it, The Baker's Hands or something? Oh. It was that joint German-Israeli thing. Yes, yes. I don't remember the name, but I know the one you're talking about. Yeah, um, that was much more a horror movie to me, just because the and it wasn't a horror movie. It was a weird kind of slice-of-life rom-com drama, I guess. Kind of? Yeah, like, it doesn't quite fit into American genres. No, not an American film. It's a European romantic film, I guess. Yeah, But, like, the whole way through, it just had this weird tension going on, where scenes went on just a little bit too long, and nobody said quite enough. And that silent space was very unsettling for me. It was Mm -hmm. very tense. And by the end of the movie, I was like... I don't know what I just watched, but I'm really keyed up. Yes, but we watched that, you know, with James, with Mm -hmm. my husband, and he had the very heartwarming rom-com response to it. Mm -hmm. It was like, and I reacted more the way you did, probably Mm -hmm. not quite as acutely, but it was like we were watching totally different films, Mm -hmm. which really gets to horror. It, It gets to changeling, it gets to horror. And I think it really gets to why a lot of people don't think changeling is horror. Mm hmm. You know, kind of getting back to that video that that Matt Dawkins put up that sort of made me think to do this. He talked about horror in Changeling. Like, you start out, everything's bright, everything's happy, and then, like, you get into it and you find out that these long-standing members of the court are alien, horrible creatures, and if you, you know, keep progressing as a changeling maybe you'll become them and like there were bits and pieces of it that resonated but overall it didn't it sounds um, like lost it it does it's a little bit like lost and and he opened you know the video saying that he has liked lost more overall but since c20 has come out he's come to see the horror in c20 and i realized what he was describing does fit like it is a form of horror that works in changeling mm-hmm. but it really got me thinking about how much I don't tend to tap that. But Changeling is weirdly the only game where my characters ever like... What is the card? The the thing where, oh, Red I need card. you to stop. X Red card. card. X card. The only game I've gotten players to get into X card. Like, mm-hmm. it's the game. I will get horrified looks from people. And I, I wanted to, like, put my finger on what that was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, for me, it kind of does come back to this conversation about the movies I think of as horror. The movies I tend to think of as horror are movies that always end up in that argument, that conversation about, oh, is it really horror? Like The Babadook, which I don't know. Have you seen The Babadook? So the premise of The Babadook is it starts out as a pretty straightforward horror movie. It centers on a mother and her son, which, spoilers, I'm about to talk about the whole premise of The Babadook if you haven't seen it. Skip ahead a number of minutes. And then he ends up with this sort of weird, creepy children's book that's all about the Babadook. And it's he seems at first to kind of be like a standard boogeyman sort of figure. And there's this side story. The kid is very socially maladapted because 
when the mother was being driven to the hospital to give birth to him. There was a car wreck and his father died. Mm. And the mother clearly never dealt with it and she was maladapted. And you get through the entire movie and at the end of the movie, and it's dealt with fairly metaphorically, but with a heavy enough hand that it's hard to miss, you realize the Babadook is their grief over the father that they've never dealt with. And the whole point of the Babadook is you can you can never get rid of the Babadook. It's part of the, the story in this. And really interesting kind of like somewhat surreal special effects. The Babadook is very, very unreal in a lot of ways. And he like infests the mother and she like gets right up to full on killing her son abusive and then at the end they like are keeping the Babadook in the cellar feeding him and the son is like can I go down and feed him and she's like someday and the thing that I realized I've talked to a lot of people who are like oh no this is a movie about mental illness and I'm oh I always respond with this is a movie about unprocessed grief and how you can't ever ignore it you will always feel grief and you will always feel guilt and you can engage with it and repressing it is unhealthy but like I always felt very uncomfortable with the it's about mental illness because that includes a whole like class of things that might be chemical people tend to hear mental illness and think of more structural problems that a person might have to deal with their whole life whereas this is an experience that everyone will have mm -hmm. in some form maybe not as traumatic as what the movie sets up eventually and for me, that sort of horror, that, like, we have faced down this horrific nightmare chimera, and we can't kill it, now we have to incorporate it into us, that's at the root of, like, the sort of horror moments I love in Changeling. Mm-hmm. I haven't watched the Dawkins video, but I think there's a really good space in Changeling to do that kind of, you're stuck in an oppressive structure, an oppressive society kind of horror. It's possible to do that well. I find that the other World of Darkness games tap that theme more effectively than Changeling does. Changeling, people who play Changeling, a lot like the people who play Mage and Werewolf a little bit, tend to get into the power fantasy of it pretty quick. I've definitely seen that. <laughs> and, I mean, you can disarm that, but... For me, anyway, the most effective storytelling way to create opportunities for horror isn't, like, to bump in with Sovereign and be like, no, you're not doing that. It's to come in and say, yes, I will totally help you do that, mwa-ha-ha-ha-ha. And consequence can be a big part of horror. Maybe I lean on tragedy a little bit more than I lean on horror, but... That's also very changeling. I don't think that's inappropriate. And if you're constantly sort of flirting with the line where tragedy is so bad it becomes horror, mm -hmm. that can be very valid as well. That can almost sort of create its own anxiety of like, when are we going to go over that line? When is this going to be more than I can process? Mm -hmm. And I found Nightmare Dice were really good for that because it gives you something very tangible. You're going to do a cantrip. Eight of your ten dice are Nightmare Dice. Yeah, and so this is something I'm starting to play with, and I think you you did put your Nightmare Dice system up on the blog, yeah, didn't I did. you? Yeah. yeah, so for people listening who haven't read this system yet, this is a version of Nightmare where if you roll ones... Or tens. Or tens, the Nightmare will flow out of your system. It's not necessarily the, the run-up-to-bedlam situation, and then... 
some form of your nightmare, some form of your anxieties or whatnot will leak out. Um, it's like your subconscious unleashing. That's a good description. Yeah, and you started using that as part of your Dark Ages campaign, didn't right. you? Right, yeah, yeah. I grabbed onto the place they left Nightmare in 2nd edition, and then that that was always just kind of a thought fragment. I feel like it was never finished, and I went in a different direction than C20 turned out to go in, and I liked mine better. So, and maybe because you started with Dark Ages, you didn't necessarily have to tackle this what did you do for Bedlam then at that point? Did you stick with the weird, like, glamour willpower balancing game? Uh, the way we ended up doing it was a bit of a mechanical mix of second and C20, but not quite, because you could get permanent dots of Nightmare the same way you can get permanent dots of Finality. And every time you got ten temporary dots without going through a catharsis, basically they would convert into a permanent dot, and when you got to ten dots, you were in Bedlam, you were done. Because your character just became functionally unplayable because all of their dice were Nightmare dice. That's interesting. And so, I mean, if you have the release of Nightmare, you could almost keep what C20 does where you modify willpower instead of having a whole other stat track, Mm -hmm. but, like, take away the ability to destroy that Nightmare imbalance with Epiphany. It's just, you have this way of getting rid of it, you know, give some other mechanism to kind of manage it at the lower level, which I think you had, didn't you? You gave your players some opportunities to actively get rid of Nightmare. Yeah, once we got the... We did a story element for getting rid of Nightmare because people were accumulating it way faster than I intended. And then once I came up with a system where it wasn't coming up quite so fast, Mm -hmm. I just left it at... You will probably purge this accidentally. If you don't, you can sell a permanent point of glamour to get rid of a permanent point of nightmare. Oh, that's quite an investment. Mm -hmm. So were there any particular moments, like particular nightmare unleashings that really stand out to you as kind of being examples of the kind of horror you like to see in Changeling? In that game, one of our characters, she kind of built her character's negative persona, the things that they didn't like about themselves around the fear of becoming useless around deterioration of their body, around losing their place in society, around getting old and her we didn't have too many big nightmare events, but her biggest one involved you know, it was the cinematic, like, we've done this thing, we've set the bomb, we have to get away from the bomb, and she was going to turn into an animal to fly away because it would be faster, and she did, but her nightmare went off at the same time, so she turned into a sparrow or whatever, and then fell to the ground, legs up, because she was trapped in a, a waking nightmare of... The past several years of her life have been a lie. She's actually being treated in... This game was taking place in the early 20th century, so an asylum, which isn't really treatment. And somebody had to go back and pick up the bird and run away with it. (laughs) And I I was a little disappointed that we didn't get to go farther with that because um, her character had... We had also been using a modified... Uh, epiphany system so that there was a specific epiphany for I am spending points to get more permanent glamour 
and it, it was sort of the opposite of Nightmare, where instead of having this outflowing of toxic, you know, self-horror, it was this affirmation of identity, and she'd already done one of those, and I kind of wanted to see what the inverse of that would look like, but we didn't get to it. I really like that. I like some of the moments that I've had with Nightmare. I've, I've talked about some of them on, on previous episodes, but the one that stood out to me was the con game that I ran at Gen Con that was set in 1925 and the opening of the Uptown Theater. We had one character who kept, and I was using a modified version of your system at that point mostly because the Bedlam Nightmare dynamic is meaningless in a one-shot. Mm-hmm. Like, the C20 system can work in a chronicle, but it is, it, it, you'll never get there to are the no point. Teeth. Yeah, there are no teeth in a one-shot. So I was using your system so that it would matter, and this one red cap kept losing a nightmare. And I had everyone roll a d10 to see how much nightmare they start with. Again, I wouldn't do that in a chronicle. You can all start at zero, but in one shot, I want the system to matter. Right. And he just kept losing nightmare. He kept rolling ones, and but it was only like one at a time. Mm-hmm. And so I just... The first time it was, oh, he, you're paranoid about this thing. And then he did it again in a situation that would be similar. And I went, okay, so now you're paranoid about it in this additional context. And I kept expanding it and getting deeper into it. And because it was one shot, he leaned into it. He loved it. He did these things that were toxic and terrible for the party because, like, yeah, it's a one shot. And I get the opportunity to, you know, role play a character self-destruction. You don't always get a chance to do that. So it was entertaining, but it was horrible, the things he did to the party. So I really like that. I'm using that system in my new campaign. But again, since that's a campaign, everybody started with Zero Nightmare. We're not really there yet. We've had one unleashing. It was only one dot, so it was pretty Mm -hmm. minor. And you have to have the right table for that kind of a thing, too. You do. The player that it happened to in my current campaign, he did play with it a little bit, but he... Also, because it was so incidental, he was mm. able to kind of slough it off. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to the first one where it's they have a nightmare pool that matters and they mm. get a couple dice. Mm-hmm. And the thing that strikes me about this system that I think is very changeling the dreaming is the nightmare is internal. It comes from you. Mm-hmm. One thing that I think of a lot with changeling the dreaming as opposed to, say, changeling the lost or even a lot of more mainstream horror is most of that mainstream horror is set up with oh what's that terrible thing out there the mm-hmm. other that's going to come for me mm-hmm. and in changeling the dreaming they they like pepper a little bit of that in there for people who like that horror and i like having options but most of the horror in changeling is i am the other mm-hmm. and the horror is the librarian the parent the normal mm-hmm. which it's friction is, yeah it's friction and you know, most horror traditionally has been that more fear of the other. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen the argument that it's intrinsically conservative in the small C, like philosophical conservatism of preserving what's right. my communities, at least. We need to keep people in the community, close to the fire. Exactly. And whereas dreaming is, I don't even want to say liberal or progressive. I think there's a wrong term. But right. Like, regressive almost like yeah the other is good go out into the darkness and learn and become and wonder and yeah it's dangerous and you might die do it anyway yeah like and one is exothermic and one is endothermic yeah exactly and i think the rest of the classic world of darkness doesn't do that except for mage Mm -hmm. mage will definitely do that wraith does it a little with the shadow but still your primary villain is 
specters. It's and the the hierarchy. It's still mostly external. Werewolf does it a little bit. You get a lot of your really good stuff from the spirit realm. That's true. Yeah, I feel like that calls for a different type of horror. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because I like Changeling more than I like Mage, but a lot of the time when I'm playing Mage and I have somebody who has spirit, that kind of melts into that same territory for me because, I don't know what it was called, but they had that idea in Mage where the person who opens the way into the spirit world determines the flavor around them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for a relatively well-adjusted person, that should be pretty simple. You know, there shouldn't be anything really bad going on there. Changelings aren't very well-adjusted. No, no, by their nature, they are the opposite of (laughs) well-adjusted. And mages, too. I mean, there are a lot of very interesting dynamics you can get into with mage. Yeah, I mean, I was on a podcast episode of The Symposium a month or so ago, and Phil was on that episode as well, and the subject of, like, who's the bad guy in Mage came up, and this is something I say a lot, but I don't hear a lot of other people emphasize too much, but Phil jumped in with, you know, where the enemy is in the mirror, Mm. and that is very central to Mage, although a lot of people like doing the tradition versus technocracy, or we're gonna Mm -hmm. fight this Nefandus, the enemy's in the mirror. Mm -hmm. Um, Changeling is interesting in that in Changeling, both society and yourself are the enemy. Yeah, but it's yourself being the enemy is a very different thing, at least to me in Changeling. Because in Mage, the enemy is in the mirror because I have power, I have hubris, I can do these amazing things, and the result of it might actually be abhorrent to me. To me. Mm-hmm. And then I'll just think I can fix it and make it even worse, and that cycle just continues because mages. Hi, Star. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yes. Oh, star. But in Changeling, the enemy in the mirror is different because you're two identities. Mm -hmm. You're this completely amoral story. Like, I am a thing, I am a story, and I will self-perpetuate along the lines of that story just because I have no moral alignment whatsoever. I merely exist. Mm -hmm. In that respect, Dreaming might be the most postmodern game in in World of Darkness, which is weird for a lot of people who don't think that way. And then there's the human half that has a moral alignment. And again, something I don't see a lot of players lean into, but I always try to keep in my head the moment when the mortal half of you recognizes that the fey half is toxic is a banality moment that should happen periodically. Every once in a while, the Redcap's mortal half, unless... No, every once in a while, the Redcap's mortal half should have a conscience moment. Mm -hmm. And if you are... If the mortal half is, like, a conscienceless, shameless, like true clinical died in the wool toxic sociopath Benham threshold one um honestly Thelane like oh, I yeah. view those people as being a model for Thelane and differentiating there between like totally lost in the woods sociopath and I've met very functional sociopaths who are aware of their dynamics and manage them that's that's an aspect of humanity but mm-hmm. like there is an extreme a true clinical like off the charts version of that I don't think those should be Redcaps or Slua. I think those those that sort of character model, that's what Thelane exists for. I don't trust that knocker. Little turncoat. I hope one of those Galeans slip a shiv in her back. 
Elatha, stuff it. We couldn't get off the ground without her, and the last thing I want to do is tend her wounds again. What's that I hear? Disdain for a commoner? I thought such judgment was beneath you. That's not what I... I'd heal her if she came to harm. I'd just get sick of her judgment. She suffered during the interregnum, but so did we. We saved lives by doing so. How do you prepare players, both as players and to create characters who, if not buy into the kind of horror story you're telling, how to at least be open to it and roll with it? So I think I think there are two halves of that. One, I think session zeros are really important. I've run a number of Chronicles without them, and I always kind of end up regretting it. My current Changeling campaign, I had a session zero. And I think it's really important for Changeling because it's so easy to get into a horror space that might not resonate with your players. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the players at my table, his he was incredibly turned off to Changeling when he first played it because he's a long-term World of Darkness player. And... You know, someone who he really respected as a storyteller ran Changeling, and he thought, okay, I'm going to love this. And he got in, and he did, like, full wonder, four-color, bright and shiny Changeling for this, like, dyed-in-the-wool-wad player. Mm-hmm. And it, he, like, two sessions in, my friend was just like, I can't do this anymore. And unfortunately, it colored his perception of Changeling pretty heavily. I've spent a long time getting to... I can run a ga- like I want to run a game with you, and I'm tailoring it very much to what I know of my players. This game is set in the Great Depression. There is no bright, shiny intro at all. I'm not starting there. I've seen a couple people online recently say you got to start with the wonder, so it's horrible when you take it away. And I'm like, depends on your players. <laughs> you know, I'm going to have spikes of bright wonder dreaming come in after I've set a baseline of this is a horrible place, you have to survive it. And so having that session zero, especially if you have players you don't know, and tailoring what you have to them and asking them, like, okay, what horror movies resonate with you? How do you like this balance? How do you react to tragedy? Because tragedy is such a big thing. And if they're all like, meh, I don't care about tragedy, that's not, like, that doesn't hit me deep. Maybe downplay it, or at least when you bring up the tragedy, don't expect that to be filling the horror need in your game. So yeah, I think, you know, that in the abstract, Mm -hmm. but also I think there are some genres of horror, and knowing, just thinking about them, breaking that down, and then thinking about when your players tell you this is what resonates with me in terms of horror, then you can be like, cool, I'm going to tap that genre. Mm -hmm. The first one, I think the easiest one, is Chthonic. Like okay, they really like straightforward that, you know, you have a bunch of vampire, werewolf, wraith players, mage is a little different, you can get into some of the weirder stuff with mage players, or people who just like, oh, I like Freddy Krueger, I mm-hmm. like, you know... There is a bad guy. There is a bad guy. And it's not me. And it's not me. Go for the Thalane. Go for, you know, your... Go for Dark Chimera. Go for Dark Chimera. There is a lot of space for that. Mm-hmm. Pop out House Baylor, mm-hmm. Lanon. Yeah, and I think you can start with the other as the enemy, and then once they're into it, then you can start to play with, 
but are Balor really the villains? Mm -hmm. Like... You can do a Korra turn. Exactly. The Korra turn is a perfect way to kind of go from that more traditional horror and turn into the more complicated changeling themes. So Mm -hmm. for maybe some of our listeners, I expect a lot of them know Korra, but for any who don't, you describe that, yeah. Sure. In Legend of Korra, spoilers, in Legend of Korra, the plot in season one is there's a very clear bad guy who wants to rob the world of magic. Season two, there's a very clear bad guy who wants to flood the world with evil. And then in season three and four, you're stuck with, well, their intentions are right. And by the end, Cora, the main character, has had to deal with the places she's fallen short and the places her enemies actually were motivated, if not by things she thought were good, by things they thought were good. And she ends up having to do a lot of self-work along the way to get there. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, the interesting thing about Korra is when they do that pivot at the end, they even go back to the first couple villains and Mm -hmm. who just seem completely irredeemable. And they're like, no, but they were kind of right. Their approach was entirely wrong. They were super wrong, but they were a little right. They were a little right. And, you know, for me, one of the things I really liked about Korra that I actually think has a place in Changeling that's really underdeveloped is the third season villain is an anarchist. Just like full dyed-in-the-wool philosophical anarchist. And of all of them, he makes the best case for... No, really, I'm doing this for the right reasons. I shouldn't be villainized. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he is the bad guy, and Korra does defeat him. And it is clear that he took his philosophy too far. But, like, if you watch it carefully, you're like, the line that made it too far is pretty far down there. You could do 80% of what he's doing. You could agree with him entirely philosophically, and you really... That would not be unreasonable at all. And the the thing with that villain, he did what a lot of people end up doing in, you know, when they get to extreme ideologies. He rolled over past his philosophy into weird fascist undertones. But then when it comes back around to, oh yeah, he was kind of right, it struck me that's the first time I had ever seen an anarchist even framed that kindly, certainly in something as mainstream and aimed at a young adult audience the way Cora was. I mean, yeah, that was Nickelodeon. Yeah, well, <laughs> it was Nickelodeon at a point in time where they were like, "Why are we doing this series? This doesn't fit, but it break, makes money. What are we doing?" Yeah. I mean, that show, that show never should have been on Nickelodeon. <laughs> Hi, Invader Zim. Mm, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, uh, especially my approach to using Nightmare, I feel like it gels with that kind of a story because it makes it really easy to project certain character traits out of the characters so they can be a little bit more concretely embodied. I tend to I tend to use Chimera a lot more than I think my players realize because, I mean, unless you're going to do a Kenning check... Is that a chimera? Is that a person? Is it an animal? Is it a tree? If it's not doing anything weird, there's no reason to do a kenning check. 
It's true. I mean, when you have really obvious little baby dragons or whatever, you can be like, oh, yes, that's clearly chimerical reality. But especially with the introduction of, like, Cold Iron Chimera, the idea that you could have a very mundane thing be Chimera isn't that obscure. Mm -hmm. I think in earlier editions of Changeling, the idea that, oh, these things don't have any banality track at all, and banality just instantly destroys them, kind of gives you the perception that, oh, they'll be obvious. They won't be part of the Autumn world. But that's really not true anymore. Mm -hmm. So... It was never true in my game. (laughs) Well, and that doesn't really surprise me. I mean, the other thing that I think your use of Nightmare can lend itself to is really interesting identity horror, Mm -hmm. which is harder to tap than the Chthonic horror. And you need to have conversations with your players about their characters and how they feel their character feels to get to that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think this kind of goes back to our episode on changeling as a metaphor for the queer community and also very much the the episode that we did that talked about disability and changeling because mm-hmm. those things become identity mm-hmm. and you know when you look at the way the fae are represented and if you decide to look at the precursor material at all definitely anything exalted but even dark ages fae the idea of the Fae before they became changelings is like, I've got an identity. Oh, no, it changed. Oh, well, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Because one state of identity is very much like another. Who cares? Mm -hmm. And totally flexible, whereas changelings do not react that way. Like, this is my identity. Oh, my God, please don't attack it. If you attack it, I might die. I might die. And to me, that was the damage done by getting wrapped up with humans. Mm -hmm. Because humans build an identity and then it becomes important to them. But then you're surrounded by creatures, especially with the Arcadian she coming back. I really like leaning into this view on the Arcadian she is they come back and they're like, no, I have the right to re- reshape everything around me. I have the right to throw around sovereign and naming and all of these things. We as humans think of someone who's doing that as doing it maliciously because they understand the implications of it. Whereas I imagine, especially the Arcadian she during the Accordance War, totally did not get it. Mm-hmm. They did not understand the damage they were doing. And I do still think there's a place for that, especially with glimmers, where it's like, oh, we have a glimmer. Yay, glamour. Oh, God, a new Arcadian she. Yeah. Huh. Or even some Arcadian <laughs> commoners. Yeah, it's true. Who just don't understand why that's damaging mm-hmm. and will come in and just like... The Boggin who comes in and is like, oh, that's your name? You know, it'd be a lot prettier. Uh-huh. Like, agency, what's that? And mm-hmm. the, But that's also one of those things you really need to know your... Your players need to know that's what they're getting into. <laughs> right. And it kind of gets into, like, we, we just talked a little bit about um, uh, the sex, sexual gender minority theme and the disability theme. It More broadly, it's really that identity horror stuff is about microaggressions. And it's sometimes difficult to understand that what is a microaggression is both an individual, uh, not decision, an individual perception, but also there's a climate of microaggressions. Thinking about, like, the Boggin who comes back and is, like, fresh from Arcadia. Oh, your name would be so much prettier if it was this. All the people who are foreign students at a university who have uncommon 
American names who take a name that's less likely to be mispronounced. All the all the black people I know who have a name that everybody uses in their life, and at work they have another name. Mm-hmm. Like, all of these things are, for some people, not even a little bit distressing, and for other people, very upsetting. <laughs> They are, and I mean, and there's a flip version of that you could do if someone wanted to play that brand new Arcadian she or that Arcadian commoner, and they come in and they expect just to reshape everything around them, and they also expect everyone around them to do the same thing to them, and the first time they experience that happening, with this human half they have to grapple with, mm-hmm. and suddenly feeling, oh god, no, but I care about who I was, mm-hmm. and like... It, you need the right player. You need the player that will actually get into how damaging and traumatic and how that would make them lash out, how fragile that would make them, mm-hmm. and how that could be awful. Metaphor for certain other things in the real world. But, like, there's a whole story to tell there. And I don't mm-hmm. think I've ever seen anyone try to tell that story. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does kind of get to the old she slash current Arcadian she frailty mm-hmm. of being susceptible to banality. I mean, that is what that is, but with C20 now and the relativistic nature of banality, your first experience of that could come from another changeling, which makes it way worse than it was in second ed. Mm-hmm. The other place you can tap that kind of identity-based horror is uh, specifically with uh, proper changelings, the kind that reincarnate. What were their past lives like? Do they have a lot of remembrance? Do they have a particularly strong identity in this life? Or does their identity mostly come from their past lives? How do they feel about that? Kind of a thing. And I haven't got the chance to play with that a lot yet, but I'm looking forward to it. I've seen some interesting things recently, because I'm always looking for what is the story a metaphor for in the real world, And I've seen two things recently. One is the granddaughter, I think it is, of Mussolini, is currently serving in the Italian governing body and actively defending her grandfather and actively defending fascism in so many words, saying, Mm -hmm. no, really, he was basically right, and pushing back against anyone who calls him out. And that, to me, is kind of this defense of, like, if you have enough remembrance, that thing, whatever it was, you're going to defend that as part of your identity. Almost not having remembrance frees you a little bit. Mm -hmm. The other thing I saw recently was someone defending, like, again, their grandparents for being members of the Nazi party and calling out other people saying, oh, when you say all Nazis were terrible, X, Y, Z, this is what you're saying. Like, literally, not really paraphrasing in any meaningful way. And it's like... I get that you have this as part of your family identity and that's uncomfortable. You need to unpack that. Mm -hmm. Like, and to me, those exact dynamics, like go out, find those people, read the way they behave, right? Your, especially your NPCs. I don't know how far I'd want a PC to get into that version of this territory, Mm -hmm. but like write your villainous NPCs that represent those dreams with high remembrance that way. Mm -hmm. And you can flip it too. Um, I remember reading a lot about people who escaped seems like too strong of a word, but I can't think of a better one, escaped very restrictive religious communities 
and who were then forced to grapple with like what is an identity what was I taught what can I change Mm -hmm. and even though they have that huge like weight of momentum in their psyche pushing them in one direction they've recognized that it's terrible but they also have to grapple with all of the meaning in my life came from this thing how do I construct anything without it and there'd be a really interesting story to tell with a character who would be a little bit more playable than somebody who (laughs) is rolling with the momentum of their past lives somebody who's trying to put the brakes on that boulder rolling down their life and smashing them into something terrible and you know even failing at fighting that because you're talking about potentially dozens of lives it could be a project over a dozen more to change directions it could i mean so to back up i think if you did that over multiple lives if you were to do kind of a dark ages to modern game which is much more common in vampire like i i've talked to so many people that have done that with vampire but i think there's a really interesting place to do that with changeling to be like we're going to do this time period and we're going to jump forward and maybe even start with all characters as childer and maybe you know don't stay there that long that's hard to play but mm-hmm. do a starting game there jump forward to those characters being wilders play through their deaths play through their reincarnation do the we're bound together through lives thing mm-hmm. as a contrivance to keep you know the player group together and leapfrog forward into the modern era mm-hmm. i think there's a place to tell that story i also think in a in a more um modest story structure there's a place for you discover all this stuff in your remembrance and you need to reshape yourself and so you do a quest into the dreaming that's Mm -hmm. very centered in character and you bring your motley with you because you need the support of a community to to change to change and to build a new identity and you know that goes back to some stuff from exalted we've talked about where that was basically systematized and exalted Mm -hmm. but i think it resonates and is a lot more interesting in a modern setting and the things you would have to face while redescending into all of that would be really fantastic fodder for horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's this like the two things in my mind at the same time about that story are it's a really good addiction story. Mm-hmm. And people can be addicted to strong feelings, just like changelings can. And on the other hand, it's also a really good place to put um to put majority guilt because people fail to appreciate that oppressive structures that create a majority minority situation people can people easily appreciate that oppressive structures that create a majority minority situation um, have negative repercussions for the minority especially people who are members of the majority have a very difficult time sometimes recognizing the ways they've been negatively impacted by being in that oppressive structure and being in the majority role. That's not to say these are equivalent injuries done to people, but they're injuries done to people all the same. An important part of grappling with and dealing with the damage, all of the damage that an oppressive system can do means you have to go back and look at the ways, as a majority member, you have to go back and look at the ways you've been advantaged by the system 
as well as the ways you've been disadvantaged by the system. Using sex as an example, there are billions of think pieces out on the internet about how much damage men have to deal with in order to become healthy human beings because men don't cry, men don't acknowledge their emotions, men are rational even when they're being super duper irrational, they're just being cold about it. And for a lot of people that kind of work is really scary because you have to go, you have to think about all of the advantages you got that you didn't deserve and you have to think about like all the time you've wasted, all the regrets, the sort of playing to the script has left you with and how you're really not allowed to acknowledge those either. I think that kind of ties into one of the last really central horror themes that I see in Changeling. You know, that idea of regret, of the things I could have done, of the things I wasted, really ties into the fact that Changeling and arguably all the world of darkness is centered on a fear of death. It manifests differently in all the games, but I feel like it's really central to Changeling. And, you know, pushing that, pushing that grump leaning in towards being undone, or you released a, a small snippet of this on our blog, and I know something larger, a larger version of it that you're working on for um, the Storytellers Vault, the Thimble Spring. I don't know, could you describe that a little bit? Because I feel like that really gets at, for me, the ideal of how you grapple with that fear of death in mm -hmm. a horror way. The two ways I see the fear of death coming into Changeling are the slow erosion of yourself through banality, and then there's the kind of ecstatic disillusion of self that you go through with Nightmare. And as I've been working with this concept a lot, I started to appreciate a little bit more the way banality and Nightmare could be interchangeable if banality is subjective, which it is in C20 in some ways. A lot of my thinking on this was inspired by uh, my grandmother's rather quick decline. Um, her greatest fear in life was going crazy. And um, it turns out that she had an opioid allergy. And most painkillers are made from opioids. And she fell and broke her hip. They started giving her morphine. She started hearing voices. She started seeing things. She didn't know what was going on. They took her off of it. I don't know if they ever figured out that she actually had that allergy, but they took her off of it, and she, she, she kind of came back from that, but it had started her slide into dementia. And she was never crazy, air quotes, crazy again, but she did start to lose her short-term memory, she started to become more infirm, and that kind of tied into her fear. The process of her kind of... She never really fell apart completely, but she started to come apart at the seams a little bit. Um, and then at another point in my life, I was volunteering in a memory care center, and I got to see people who had more, more destructive Alzheimer's and dementia, and how it just completely changed the way they perceive the world and it was terrifying for them it was honestly very upsetting to be around them sometimes and i feel like changelings when you start to get really far into bedlam that's sort of the thing you have going on there it's sort of like your identity is pinned on these two things you've got your banal human half and you've got your toxic wild fey half 
and when these two things start to get really far out of balance with each other, especially when you start to get old and you happen to have Alzheimer's or some sort of memory illness, that human anchor starts to weaken and you start to just naturally gravitate towards what you have left, the part of you that isn't human, and for a changeling, because so much of them is about dreams, about memories, about feelings, their power comes from those things. You know, the World of Darkness analogy is that banality is cold, but without something to tamp that down a little bit, it just emerges a lot like an episode of mental illness. And you end up with a situation where with so little banality, you have essentially somebody who can, without actually trying to, overwrite chimerical reality for other people. And you get this shared hallucination thing, and um, people get trapped in it, people can't get out of it, and part of that came from dealing with people who are in an episode of dementia, because you can't logic people out of that kind of a thing. You have to meet them where they're at and try to calm them down because using rationality in that situation just creates more friction. And for me, at least, a lot of the tragedy and the horror in Changeling comes from the friction between the different moving parts, between reality and potential, between your responsibilities and the things you want to be doing, between the things you're afraid of and the things you wish were. And for a lot of people, I feel like the real horror of having a family member go through Alzheimer's is knowing that they don't want this and they can't help it. That bit about knowing they don't want this, you know, the the dynamics around chimerical death or being undone are well written and documented in the book but I found the way players handle it, and, and maybe, you know, there are people who would disagree with this, but in general, I found the way players handle it is, oh, you went through chimerical death. Cool, we're going to systematize you coming back somehow, and either you'll take a break, play a side character, we'll move the story forward to where you re-enter. Like, the absence is dealt with systematically. There isn't a lot of inspection of the changeling's coping with this person who doesn't know them, who their identity is wrapped up in, the banality of all of that. Like, the game certainly acknowledges that, but I find it's difficult to play through. And similarly, like, with Being Undone, Being Undone and having, like, that person potentially come back, again, is seated in C20, but I don't see a lot of it brought up in, like, adventures or discussions Mm -hmm. online. The thing about the thimble spring is there is only one end to that situation. You don't fix dementia. You don't cure Alzheimer's and similar conditions. You're going to have to kill that person before they destroy, before the last shred of humanity goes away and you have a true fae with like a vessel to exist here, but totally untempered. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to kill them before that happens. And so it creates a space that creates a gameable scenario that taps those themes, whereas the undone or chimerical death are meant to tap those themes, but I just find they're hard to engage with. Yeah, it's not 
well, it's not fun to engage with, you know, the the high school friend who got sent to straight camp or the, you know, the person who moves in and out of your life and you know when they're not in your life, they're either on a bender or in treatment and... It, it's just not fun. <laughs> and games yeah. don't have to, especially storyteller games, they're not really under an obligation to be fun all the time, but those situations are the ones I think I would have the hardest time playing. Yeah, I agree. I've written about that straight camp scenario because my first crush when I was in high school was sent to straight camp like that was a a moment I had to deal with and so like I think those sorts of dynamics play really well in changeling fiction Mm -hmm. they don't at a table like it's just it's hard to deal with at a table because yeah I mean one internally it's hard for me to deal with at a table and two you've got four or five six other players there So the thing is, if you have a table with two or three people, you can sort of focus around what's horror for those people and stay on a common vocabulary. If you get at a table with six or seven people, that's really difficult to do. And I've had those moments, not so much with Changeling, it happened in my Sorcerer's Crusade game, where I plucked something that was deeply horrific to me. It was deeply horrific to most of my table. And then we had that one player who went, oh, yeah, that seems reasonable. And, like, I'll be honest, I would rather take that role-playing moment back. I don't need (laughs) to have experienced that. Um, And so especially if you're dealing with something as personal and intimate as, oh, I lived through my first crush going to a straight camp, or, like, I went to a straight camp and I'm through it and I'm, like, okay, but... I experienced that, and someone else goes, meh. Mm, yeah. Like... <laughs> Friction. Friction! <laughs> yeah. And the other thing to keep in mind, too, is that um, you end up in a situation with a player with a player character who's out because they're in a banality coma. Um, you have an ownership issue. Is the player going to play that? Is the storyteller going to play that? Who do you trust to do that? Will the player resent the storyteller for doing it? Will the storyteller resent the player for doing a bad job doing it? And there are multiple reactions to having a having a paradigm shift. Um, I had a friend in college who went to visit her dad out in Louisiana one summer, and she came back. And she was, I mean, brainwashed is the right word. Her dad was part of a very strict fundamentalist Christian sect because he wanted to get laid. And she came back and she had this big laundry list of things she couldn't do, like watch PG-13 movies, read certain books that had devil fonts in them. I'm not joking. And like... It took us a good six months to get her back to normal, functioning human being. And then she was talking about how she was going to go out to Louisiana for the summer again. And her boyfriend at the time was like, if you do that, it's over. Because I don't want to go through this again. And he, she, she had no idea what he was talking about. And Oof. yeah, and you end up with this weird situation, in that, which I've seen with other people, where they make a change in their life. And it may be one you agree with or one you don't agree with, but suddenly they 
see a lot of benefit in not continuing relationships with people they were once close with. And there are a lot of different reasons for doing that, but the undone, especially, and the changelings who are just in a temporary banality coma, one of the reactions they should have to having their own life, their own previous life thrown in their face when they're trying to straighten up and fly right might be hostility. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's basically called out in C20 when they talk about the poor changelings who make the Aranus decision to try to enchant an undone to bring them back and how horribly that goes. Mm-hmm. To me, while that's very much in game terms, it doesn't kind of call out what it's invoking the way you did that's what that's invoking Mm -hmm. um but tamer versions of that should still apply Mm -hmm. um and you know if you get someone who isn't undone but has seven or eight banality and maybe they don't come back to their face self for like seven years that character is going to be a challenging creature in a lot of ways and they're gonna probably hate themselves mm-hmm. you know um and there's you know that gets back to that identity horror but the banality end of it instead of mm-hmm. what we were talking about earlier which is more the the glamorous end of it and it's also a relationship horror <laughs> oh yeah <sighs> like oh god just watching somebody deteriorate or make terrible choices or just strangled himself is really hard yeah the commoners in our court tell stories of their past lives every sound they claim the mists help them remember i think they are just looking for a reason to wax nostalgic was the interregnum so awful i've never met a liam who will speak their story the commoners don't want to hear our tales and the arcade all those stories do is isolate us. Oh, come now. It's so in. Do tell us a tale. No isolation among the sheep tonight. So you can pluck my secrets from the mists and use them against my house? I think not, Balorian. We shall each speak our truth tonight. Each entrusted to the secrets of the dreaming's most noble. Our secrets are our own to keep or sing, but no word of noble truth entrusted to our care shall spill from our lips or fingers, lest we unleash ten times our own secrets to the oldest enemies of our dream. We certainly have nothing better to do while we're trapped in this storm. I stand before you, Oathmaker, and swear myself to your oath. I shall offer my story to these mists, and keep the secrets of my noble brethren, lest my story fall to the oldest enemies of my dream. Fine. I stand before you, Oathmaker, and swear myself to your oath. I shall offer my story to these mists, and keep the secrets of my noble brethren, lest my story fall to the oldest enemies of my dream. I seal this oath here in the deepest recesses of the dreaming. May we find these tales hidden in Samhain's heart when they will aid us most. I think we should try to close with five examples of something that isn't horror, but is good changeling horror. Oof. Okay. Man, that's a... That's a good one. I think moments of moral growth. 
it's the opposite of horror, but it should be horror to your changeling characters. Mm-hmm. The acknowledgement, because having a moment of moral growth that maybe is out of line with your face elf is banality. And then that cycles back around to, oh, maybe banality isn't totally malevolent. Like, and then you just trigger again. Mm-hmm. Like, that should be something that it's not horror, but it could be framed as good changeling horror. Mm-hmm. Your turn. Oh, boy. <laughs> it wasn't true for a lot of the other Star Treks, but the Mirror Universe episodes in some of the Deep Space Nine series were... I get that a lot of them were supposed to be fun, silly what-ifs, but especially with Kira, they seemed really close to home a lot of the time. And I think that had a lot to do with her actor. Her actor was really good. Yeah. But Mirror Universe Kira and Prime Universe Kira seemed really close a lot of the time. Yeah, and I think... And this... I don't know if this is another one or if it's kind of playing on that, but learning about your past. Mm-hmm. And I think that it kind of taps a similar thing, but learning about your past for a human, in theory, you know, you should be able to just say, all right, this is a thing that either I did when I was younger and I didn't understand it, or my ancestors did, or whatever. That's not who I have to be. That moment of that's not who I have to be is toxic for changelings. Mm-hmm. Playing through and really leaning into, I will defend this part of myself, and that is part of the World of Darkness thesis of playing a monster mm-hmm. that I'm actively engaging with, mm-hmm. that should be a horror moment. Mm-hmm. The other half of that, too, there are the people who recognize a mistake, and then some people like have that they're half step away from recognizing the mistake and then they just dive into it because they realize that it's there are a lot of reasons to do this but they realize that the path for them is simpler if they dive into it than it is if they try to correct it and then there are the people who run from the mistake the people who the white savior is a really good example somebody who realizes that white culture and white people are terrible for everybody else, and then they go to fix everybody else. Yeah. I think another version, another form of something that's not necessarily horror... This might might cross the line, this might be horror in other contexts, but realizing that the terrible things in the world are necessary you know i've been thinking and i mentioned this i think in the the episode we did with charlie and the lycians but i've been thinking a lot with my current chronicle about nightmare being a defense mechanism for the dreaming Mm -hmm. because when banality gets really 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 bad what you still have is what you're afraid of you can give up on wonder people who have totally and completely given up on wonder like the last thing they give up on is fear. I've met and seen a couple people that are so deep in not feeling that they can't even be afraid, but that is like the final ultimate step. And being forced into the situation where you're like, oh, if that didn't exist, the thing that makes me me wouldn't have survived, 
all of these moments in history. Like, it's a hard needle to thread, Mm -hmm. but, like, internalizing the need to have for something that you loathe to exist, I think is a very changeling horror. I think it's a struggle in other settings, but changeling amps it up to the point where it can be a source of horror. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's one of those... Like the shadow and wraith, like the the beast and vampire, there's this weird sort of semi external, semi internal force. You're not sure whose voice it is, mm-hmm. but it's something that I don't know about other cultures, but American culture is really bad at acknowledging exists. That you can have impulses that you find unpleasant or repulsive or evil. And they can be transitory, and they're not actually a part of you. But they are. They are. And I think that's a hard thing to tap, but it's a very changeling thing to tap. You know, the human brain operates by throwing a bunch of possibilities for decision in front of you. And what makes you the good person is that you pick the good options Mm -hmm. or the least bad option or the least bad option you don't always have a good one but like the presence of atrocity in the deck of cards you draw doesn't make you an atrocious person but we so heavily shame some of this stuff Mm -hmm. some of it for good reason you should be ashamed of being a nazi just saying but like we shame some of those things so hard that it can be oh my god that even crossed my mind that's in my hand at all Mm -hmm. am i a horrible person like Grappling with your relationship with that stuff is challenging, and it's it would be so much worse for a changeling. Mm-hmm. I've lost count. As did I. <laughs> I think one other thing, and this also gets into, it is kind of horror outside of changeling. I've seen it in the genre, is seeing someone who deeply reminds you of you, who has just degraded... Be it down the Nightmare Bedlam Road or the Banality Road, there are several different flavors of that. That, like, oh, that's where I'm going to end up. And really being hard-faced with that, I think, is a very changeling form of horror. Mm -hmm. But I think that is a horror in other contexts as well. I have no idea what you're talking about with my therapist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think that's as great a note to stop on as any... (laughs) Therapy is horror. <laughs> I mean, that's first edition changeling. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, but therapy's nightmare horror. It's not banality horror. It's true. Oh uh, well, getting into therapy as a, a glamorous thing in changeling is a whole other topic. We could do another episode on, and uh, maybe yeah. we will someday after some more therapy. Yeah, after some more therapy. Pater noster, quies in celis, sanctificatur nonem tuum. Adveniat regnum tum, fiat voluntas tua. Sicut in cielo et in terra, panem nostrum, cotidanum da nobis hodie, et dimite nobis debita nostra. Sicut et nos dimitimus debitorbus nostris, et ne nos inducas, Intentationem, sed libera, nos amalo. Well, you certainly enjoyed yourself, didn't you? Hold your tongue, demon. If I am a demon, then you are of the horde that made me so. Do not liken me to Van Leiden, Spectre. You made your bed with him and drew your profit from it. 
Your late regret does not absolve you of the sin of suckling at his teat. Return to perdition where you belong. You're a sad thing. You were both once among the firstborn. There are some places in this hell my late husband trapped me in where your old names are still spoken. In nomine patris et fili. Cuchelain, so spoken into the dream, I demand you speak your old story. I demand you see what is clouded from your eyes by mist and death. Et spirit sanctia, a glory denacher, ungustun walk, ungustun spirit naive, morvir dus, mortafos, ungust morvir dobra. Lesil, Nasil, Amen. You have shaped your story more completely than I thought, but you cannot dispel me with faith you do not have, Prince Bishop. All you'll ever be is a distorted reflection of gods that haven't been worshipped in generations. The gods you pretend to believe in would just as soon you fade into oblivion. Cold words for a woman who went through the believer's baptism less than a year ago. I thought my faith could withstand death. God has a way of slipping away when your husband's swinging an axe down on your throat. I made them sing like a celebration. In the song that bound me here, his axe played percussion. I am more than a little envious that you got to rip the burning skin from his body, though I should take my satisfaction knowing I handed him to you. We just wanted to survive. You will forgive this young spirit for not sympathizing with your plight. Neither of us will ever forgive the other for any of our sins, Lady Wanshire. It's not exactly part of our story, is it? No, it isn't. You know his dream didn't die with him. No matter what he became at the end, the believer's baptism didn't slip away with his breath. Of course it didn't. No dream dies. You don't seem concerned. It may be temporary, but you parted the mist from me, Karamet. You did so without understanding the revelation you unleashed. I'm a child of the summer court, but I remember my saying. I can see now what I saw while I walked summer through the other seasons. Rebellions are made to be crushed under the wheel of tradition, but the dreams they birth don't die. Sooner or later the wheel turns, and what was revolution becomes tradition. I may not stand by the believer's baptism in this life, but I see now that I will eventually come out of winter and find it waiting for me, as conservative and entrenched as my precious papal state. The Unseelie's victory is as inevitable as the Seelie taking credit for it. I may be a prisoner of this dream, but I will take my cage over yours any day, Tuahan.